Amen, and thank you so much. I do just love getting to worship and song with you. And thank you, combined choirs. Did they not do a marvelous job before the Lord today? Thank you so much. I just love singing in this church. And to make a difference and be a church of impact, we're walking along through Paul's letter to a wonderful church filled with people that had gifts and talents and were blessed by God in many ways, just like you are, and God wanted them to make the biggest impact they could make in their day. Well, many, many years ago, there was a man, his name was Solomon. He was given a capacity by God to be able to look around and to understand things in this world. Solomon, writing in the book of Proverbs, laid out many different things about life and how to live it. And then he said in Proverbs chapter 30, he said, you know, I'm looking around and there are three things that are just absolutely too amazing for me to get a hold of. Now, you've got to understand, Solomon had asked God for wisdom. They'd be able to understand life and things around him, and he could take a look and see how things come together. And now at the end of his writing, he goes, you know, there are three things that are too amazing. And all of a sudden, it's like in his mind, he goes, wait, 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 wait. There's a fourth one that, boy, it just, it just boggles my mind. And these were the four. He said, first of all, the way of an eagle in the sky. It's just amazing to watch those majestic birds. He says, the way of a snake upon a rock as it's shedding its skin, and the way of a ship on the high seas and how it can move with such a small rudder. And then that fourth one, he said, and the way of a man with a maiden. In other words, a boy with a girl. I've looked at it, and Solomon says, there are things about it I just don't understand. It is amazing the way God wired us. You know that. A little boy was asked by a man sitting next to him. He says, hey, you got a girl? He was about 10 years old. He said, a girl? Oh, no. Ran off to play, and a little girl sitting next to that man looked over and winked and said, yeah, he does. He just doesn't know it yet. (laughs) But at some point, The boys begin to know it, and all of a sudden, you'll see, and these boys that are under 12 around here, kids, I'm just telling you, there will come a day, you'll start brushing your teeth on your own, you'll actually take a shower in the morning, and you'll want to dress up before you go to school. You don't believe it, but these kids in front of me are living it. And all of us that are older, we've been through it. You know, when I was uh, just really about three years old, we lived up in New Jersey at the time, and it turns out that the church that we went to was a Seventh-day Adventist church that they weren't using on Sundays. It was a little bitty church. I thought it was great big. My perspective, of course, at three was it was a great big church. It only held about 30 or 40 people. Uh, when I look back at it later, but there was a little girl uh, 
whose family was the same kind of shell transplants, and her name was Missy, and I got a call, literally, when I was um, about 20 years old, and this lady on the other end of the line identified herself, and I vaguely remembered, and then she says, do you remember a girl named Missy? And boy, you know, I mean, that was my first, that was my first love. I said, well, I do. And she says, I'm bringing her to Baylor so you can marry her. Because <laughs> she remembered that I told Missy I wanted to marry her at age three. Well, they, they showed up at our house. Missy was cuter when she was three. And I'm not sure how long after that I lied to Pam about what I was going to do and how much I had in the bank. But, boy, thank God she fell for it, and uh, I'm better off because of it. But Solomon says, you know, I'm just looking, and that's an amazing thing. Now, Solomon, throughout the book of Proverbs, does lay out some principles. God really did give him the capacity to be able to see relationships You know the sad thing for Solomon? He didn't know how to live it out. He saw what to do, and he could write it out, but he didn't end up living it out. And you know, there's so many. I want you to hear this in all of our lives. There's not a person in this room that could stand in any way and say, I've gotten everything that God has said in his word that is best for me. I've gotten it down and I live it out, and I don't ever mess up. It may not be in a marriage relationship. It may not be in some other area. But all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the grace of God is big enough to take any one of us, wherever we've been, whatever we've done, whatever's been our past, and the grace of God loves you and wants the very best for you today. So whatever has happened in the past, God wants you to know that he has a future. He never takes a look and says, you're confined to all the things of your past. God always says, I want you to know my grace is sufficient for you. So with that in mind, I also want you to know that the fact is that because God wants the very best for you, and particularly students, I want you to tune in with me here because this is so vital to make the decisions about what God wants concerning marriage in your life if you end up being married. He wants you to make those decisions and determinations way before you ever say, I do. And to those of us who have been married for some time, we need to affirm what God has said in his word for our relationships that they would be the best that they could be. You see, the Corinthian believers were being sold a bill of goods related to how God was looking at marriage. Some were teaching a horrible, erroneous teaching that said, listen, when you became a believer and the Spirit of God came in you, that means that you relate to God on a spiritual level, so what you do in the body absolutely does not make any difference. And they were surrounded in a community and in a world with such high immorality that it just drove them to live out before the world the way that looked exactly like the world, and there was no difference in their lives at all. We're talking about making a difference. 
and for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to make a difference, we need to be able to walk according to the word under his blessings that ultimately the world will see there is a qualitative difference in how believers end up doing family in their lives. I want you to open your Bibles with me, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And throughout this chapter now, Paul is addressing some questions that came to him and issues he heard about the Corinthian believers and how they were doing marriage and living out their lives. And right off the bat, I want you to hear this point. Marriage or singleness are both within God's plan. Not everyone is ultimately going to end up being married. And singleness is very much a part of God's plan for some of his children. Look what Paul says in verse 1. Paul writes, he says, now for the matters you wrote about. And he just says, it is good for a man not to marry. Verse 7, Paul makes this statement. I wish that all men were as I am. And what he was referring to there was his own singleness at this time. And he said, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another one has that. Let me give you four thoughts in this. First of all, Paul is not against marriage in any shape, form, or fashion. In fact, he often compared the church and our relationship to Jesus Christ. One of the most beautiful ways he compares that relationship is that the church is the bride of Christ. Christ, Jesus, is the groom. Paul saw that exemplified in marriage. He understood that. He was not against marriage when he's telling them this. Second, Paul was viewing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a mindset that every believer in every generation needs to have, and that is understanding that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent. It could happen at any single moment. It could happen absolutely right now. And what Paul was addressing is that whenever a man and a woman are married, they have responsibilities to each other that are going to take time. And so Paul was so dynamically committed to spreading the gospel in what he thought uh, humanly would have been a very short time, but every generation has a short time. We don't know what our time is on this earth, that he believed that those who are single, and he was right about this, they ultimately have greater capacity of time to give to the kingdom service of God. I I experienced this. It's not hard to really understand that. When I was a sophomore at college, I was invited to come that summer uh, to be a student minister for the summer at First Baptist Church, Missouri City. And so I moved into a house next to the church, and all summer long, I engaged from the time I got out of my classes till the time I went back to my classes in a summer of student ministry. And you know what? 
because I was single, because they had called. I had nothing else to occupy my time. So we had events for kids on, you know, Sunday. We had them on Saturday. We had Monday through Friday, Friday night. Three years later, that church called me back. Well, I brought someone with me the next time. And so we came back together as married. You know what? Some folks actually had a hard time getting used to the fact that I didn't plan a youth event Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. I had someone else I kind of wanted to be with some of those nights. We spent our first anniversary on a bus going to a youth event, and Pam said, don't ever do that again. (laughs) And, you know, quite frankly, uh, it didn't work out too good for me either. There was another person involved in the responsibility. It didn't mean that we had less of a productive ministry, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But that's what Paul is getting at. The third thing is, Paul probably had already been married in his life. In Acts 26 and verse 10, we read that Paul actually said, I voted with them concerning the condemnation of those Jews who had become Christians. I was in on the vote. The implication of that, according to many commentators, and I believe this from my own study, is that Paul had risen so fast in the uh, Jewish life as a Pharisee, I think Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of 70 in Judaism, and one of the requirements for them was they had to be a married man. The chances are that when Paul gave his heart to Christ and he was so then put out of not only the Sanhedrin but of Jewish, Jewish life in the temple that his wife, she had either died along the way or she had left him. Probably that's the case that the Jews had said, you need to leave this man. And he understood then, if that's the case, he understood either the pain of losing the spouse to death or he understood the pain of a divorce and the separation of that. And Paul didn't want anybody to experience that in their lives. Paul was not against divorce. I, I heard of a man that was wearing his wedding ring on his middle finger. And someone asked him, said, why are you wearing your ring on the wrong finger? He said, well, it's because I married the wrong woman. <laughs> now, I've got mine on the right finger, correct finger, But you know what? God doesn't want you to marry the wrong person. Now, he wants you to experience his best. Adam didn't have to go out and find Eve. God brought her to him. And God wants you to trust him. Young people, God wants you to believe that he wants the very best for you because he does. He wants you to trust him. If you're single, you don't have to go rushing out and just look for that relationship to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Listen, if you're not content in Christ, content to be single, you certainly aren't going to find contentment in ultimately being married. You have got to find your happiness and contentment wrapped up in Jesus Christ. If you expect it as a single person to be found in someone who is, when you're married, you're going to find yourself very, very mistaken. 
Whenever I counsel with young couples and I ask them, is there anything about this person that kind of grates on you or that is a peeve to you that really gnaws at you? And, you know, I've never heard any young couple say, oh, yeah, here's a list of the stuff. But Boy, about five years later, there will be a list. <laughs> They're honest. Is there any pet peeves you've got about it? Yeah, I didn't know about this, you know. Because what couples tend to do is they tend to put on these glasses like a magnifying or binoculars. And they end up magnifying all the things they have in common and they minimize the things they have differently. But after marriage, you find out that you've just married someone that's different than you. And then what happens is many couples, when they're not doing the principles of God, they end up turning those binoculars around and they see through the big end down to the little end and they all of a sudden then they minimize all the things they have in common, but they maximize all the things they have different. What I'm saying to you this morning is both marriage and singleness are part of God's plan. Don't ever rush into it, but wait upon God's timing. I ended up marrying at age 22, right after I'd turned 22. My younger brother, Keith, was patient and waited and built his business, and he didn't marry until he was 44. Both of us happily married, love our wives, but my brother was patient and let God just bring that along in his time. Singleness or marriage, they're both in God's plan. But if you're going to marry, you need to know this. In marriage, marriage is to be pure. Let's look at what Paul says in verse 2 through 4. Paul writes and he says this. But since there's so much immorality, every man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marriage duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Go to verse 8 and 9. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. The writer of Hebrews expresses it this way in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, the seventh commandment that God gave, God said, you shall not commit adultery. You know, I'm just wanting to ask, what part of that do you not understand? That's like telling your kids, what part of no do you not understand? It's, it's plain, it's cut and dry. Adultery is sexual intimacy outside of the marriage relationship between a man and one woman. It doesn't matter how the world ends up defining marriage. It doesn't matter what our society will end up saying. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court may ultimately rule or any judicial body or any legislative body. Marriage is between one man and one woman designed by God for life. And that relationship is not to have anybody else come in between that relationship in any way for anything in intimacy in that marriage. The drive of sexual intimacy was created by God. Like all creation, it's good. It's Satan in the flesh that wants to turn everything upside down and express it outside of God's plan. And somehow say to young people that this doesn't matter. 
It won't hurt you. Why, if you really love the person, give yourselves to them, and nothing could be further from the truth. God wants that intimacy to only be reserved for after someone says, I do, and makes a commitment for life, and they keep that relationship pure unto themselves. A big part of marriage is expression in that physical intimacy, and God designed it for two reasons. The practical reason was procreation, so that this world would be populated, and therefore, ultimately, the kingdom of heaven could be more populated. But second, that there would be pleasure between a husband and wife, and their bond would be knit together among them. Now, let me go another tack. Essentially, what Paul is calling for is he's saying to a husband and a wife, I want you to understand that if you're in that marriage relationship, it's to be kept pure, but you're also to make a commitment to meeting each other's needs. Now, Paul focused on the physical needs and sides of marriage, but there are also emotional sides of marriage. You need to write this down. Husbands, your wife has two great needs. You need to meet these needs, the need for security and the need for self-esteem. Security is not just financial. Security is also emotional and relational. She needs to know that you are going to be faithful, that you are going to be there, that you are going to stand with her, that you are going to seek to be her protector in life. Hollywood has just absolutely given you and I, and young people, Hollywood gives to us and to you an absolutely horrible picture of relationship. It is so far upside down, you can't even see right side up. The fact is, is that God designed marriage to be between one man, one woman, in a pure relationship to bring and provide security and self-esteem. I heard Bill Cosby. I enjoy his comedy. But Bill Cosby's one of those rare birds in Hollywood that married one woman that's been married for probably over 50 years. And he was asked in an interview, how in the world in Hollywood have you been able to do and have a relationship for all these years? And he looked back and he said, well, it's pretty simple. I went home every night. You know, it doesn't take rocket science. I just went home every night to my wife. I never was with someone else, and that was a commitment that they had made. And so, man, not only self-security, but you need to build up your wife's self-esteem. You need to build her up. You need to praise her. You need to affirm that she's still the one that you desire, the one that you want. And then, wives, you've got another task because your husbands are a little bit more, well, they're very simple, but there's three things that they need to be a triple-A guy. First of all, they need to be admired by you. You need to be your husband's biggest fan. Now, don't be like that wife that went to the store and the guy said, hey, here's the perfect jacket for the man about town. And she said, well, what do you have for the louse around the house? Uh, don't, you need to be your husband's biggest fan. He needs to know that you admire him, 
that you respect what he does, and maybe his person is not exuding that, then you need to find in his position and what he does, you need to find some ways that you build him up. You need to express appreciation to him in your life for the things he does. Maybe he doesn't do anything for you. Well, maybe it's been a long time since you've told him thank you for anything that he's done around the house. And then third, you need to give him affection. You need to give him some affection in your life, understanding that God wired him, and you are the only one with that authority by God to bring that affection. And what ends up happening many, many times is because of separation in relationship, there will be all too often somebody out in the world that is willing to give that man admiration, appreciation, and affection because he's not getting it at his home. You need to remember Agape love, agape love, God's kind of love. The love that you read about in 1 Corinthians 13. Agape love is not a love that is dependent upon what the other person does. Agape love is a covenant commitment love that is a determination to meet the needs of my spouse or someone else. In other words, even if I'm in a relationship and my spouse is not reciprocating that, agape love tells me I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do to give this relationship and be what God wants it to be. Marriage is to be kept pure in meeting one another's needs. Third, marriage not only, if it's in God's plan, is to be kept pure, but marriage is then to be permanent. Let's look at verse 10 through 16. Paul writes and he says it like this. To the married I give this command, not I, uh, but the Lord. Uh, A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. And then Paul goes on and he tells us uh, in, later on in verse 16, Paul ends up saying, How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Go on to verse 25. In verse 25, then Paul continues. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, there's not a word that I'm giving and pulling out from the Old Testament. But I give judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. God gave him this. Because of the present crisis, and that is the persecution of believers and the belief in the imminent return of the Lord, I think it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Well, don't seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Don't, don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry are going to face many troubles in this life. And, and I want to spare you this. Now, when Paul was saying, this isn't what I'm saying, this is what the Lord is saying, he's referring to what Jesus said specifically. Let's look at it in Mark chapter 10. Jesus said, some Pharisees came and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so Jesus said, this is what Paul is referring to. Well, what did Moses command you? He replied, and they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And so Jesus explained, 
The reason that was because of the hardness of your hearts. That's the reason, the human reality that Moses wrote that law, Jesus replied. And the fact is, but at the beginning, that's not God's plan. God made them male and female, and this was his plan. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, glued together to her by God, and the two will no longer become, they will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one. And then he said, whatever God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Jesus would give, ultimately, and Matthew chapter 19, the only cause that Jesus gave for divorce would be adultery. Paul was dealing, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, dealing with a situation where there were unbelievers who came, one spouse came to know Christ after they were already married, and then that unbelieving spouse ends up saying, I don't want to stay in this relationship. They're not compatible in their faith. Paul says to them, listen, if that's the case, you're not bound. If the unbelieving spouse leaves, that's, you just don't worry about it. Let that spouse leave. But the goal is ultimately salvation of that spouse and reconciliation of relationship. When Paul says the unbelieving spouse is sanctified, it doesn't mean that they're saved. He means they're in a position that they're set apart by the Holy Spirit so that God can work upon their heart, do the influence of a believing spouse in that home. So marriage is to be permanent. If you're not married, but you're thinking about it, just make this determination. When I get married, it's a covenant for the rest of my life. If you are married and you're contemplating a divorce in your mind, Put that away. I do exactly what Pam and I have said. We took the D word out of our vocabulary. Murder is in it, but divorce is not in it. Uh, in fact, I can tell you this. Pam and I have had a relationship we have never had. Now, I know you'll be, a, but we have never gone to bed angry. There was one week we stayed up for four days, but we have never gone to bed angry with each other. Well, I'm only kidding. The fact is, marriage has ups and downs. But I want to give you something if you're a young couple. I want to give you a picture. I want to ask you to picture yourself with your spouse when you are 70, 80, even 90 years old. Picture your future with your spouse. The very fact is, is that whenever couples end up getting a divorce, somebody has put in their mind a picture that does not have the other person there. I cannot in my mind fathom a picture where Pam is not in it unless God took one of us home. The very fact is you draw that picture in your mind. It's a future goal. And if I have a future goal already set in my mind that I have a picture of what we will be like as we grow old together, and I see ourselves in that picture. Then when the bumps and comes along, and when the ups and downs in life and the stresses come, I still keep that picture because I know that there's going to be ups and downs, and I can get through this because that picture is intact. Draw a picture of that. That's one of the things that a church family is a beautiful place for young couples to come and to be a part of. Because in a church family like this, there are many, many folks who have ended up already going through that time, and they're in those latter days.
days of life walking together. It is a beautiful thing to watch a husband and a wife come toward that end and know that they're there for each other all the way, just like they said, till death do us part. Marriage is to be permanent. And the final thing I want you to write down on your marriage for the future, marriage is to be a spiritual partnership. Paul wrote it this way in verse 5. Paul said to the believers, don't deprive each other in that physical area, except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so Satan won't tempt you because of that lack of self-control. In verse 32 through 35, Paul makes, writes it like this. I would like you to be free from concern. Now, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of his, this world, how he can please his wife. That's what Paul is getting at. And he says the interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. And he goes on. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in body and spirit. But a married woman has concern about the affairs of the world and so how she can please her husband. What Paul is describing here in this relationship, he says, I want this for your good so that you may live in a right way, undivided in your devotion to the Lord. Now, here's God's plan. Husband and wife, God's plan ultimately is for you to be a team. A team working and serving together. To pray together, to serve together, to see yourselves as bringing up, if children are given to the home, as bringing up a next generation of kingdom leaders. That's what Paul was saying about the children being holy, that they're blessed to be in the influence of parents who are going to lead them to the Lord. The most important place of spiritual development is not at the church, it's in the home. And so when a home is committed to raising those children under the Lord, then they go in their local church family, and the local church family supports and undergirds and encourages what they're already teaching at home. It's a beautiful picture. Now, young people, this is why it's very important for you to determine only to marry someone who is a believer. The fact is, is because when you come together in marriage, there's only one way to really be a partnership in the Lord, and that is for each person to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Guys, I want to challenge you. You need to be a spiritual leader in any dating relationship that you ever have. And girls, you need to be a spiritual challenge to any dating relationship you will ever have. And in the home, it needs to remain that way. God designed God designed marriage before he ever started the church. God wants marriages to be a reflection of his love and his care in this world and with the world so upside down. I call on us to just reaffirm today my commitment that if you are married, that you will stay pure, that you will have your relationship permanent, and that you would work to be a spiritual partnership together. If you are single, that you will not rush out and say, God, I, I don't care what you say. I don't care who it is, whether he's a believer or non-believer. I don't care what's going on. I just want to be married that you'll trust God and let him 
bring someone if that's his plan for your life. And if not, that you will let him just show you places of service and activity, involvement in the family, that you can influence people for the Lord. God wants his people to live well and to make a difference in this world. Would you bow your head with me? Every one of us is touched by this in some way because everyone in this place, you are either in a state of being single or you're in a state of being married. All of us are in this same situation. And may I say to you that God loves you. Whatever has gone on in the past, God loves you and wants your future to be blessed. And he wants you to enjoy his best for you. Now, some of you have never settled your first relationship, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. God wants that relationship to be all that it can be. And so he calls you to give your heart to him. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ and you know heaven is your home, we're going to have our staff ministers here. And we want to invite you to come and let one of them talk with you, pray with you. Maybe you've given your heart to Christ, but you don't have a church home, a church family. God wants you to be planted with a group of people that will help encourage you and who you can serve among. And we invite you to come and be a part of this family. Father, I pray for homes today. I pray for husbands, wives. I pray for single young people. I pray for single adults today. That God, the word that we've shared, The Lord will understand that it's always under your plan for the very best for our lives. And I pray blessing on every person and blessing on every marriage, blessing on the homes. And Father, we determine today we're going to walk with you in Jesus' name. Will you stand very quietly to your feet? As Joel begins to lead this invitation hymn, we invite you, some of you, God's calling you to become a part of this church family. Some of you, God's calling you to give your heart to Christ. Whatever decision God's calling you to make, we ask you to come and invite you right now. Take up thy cross and